A happy new year to all of you listening to Radio for Brainport. But this is not a moment only to look forward to 2021, but also to look back on all the things that happened in the year 2020. So coming to you from Vienna with Limi Kalapurachal from Eindhoven, with Stephen Harianto from Barcelona with Peter Simons. This is a program that we debate whether 2020 was the year of you're on mute. Yes, we were on mute. Uh, the year of herd immunity or the year of fake news. Peter Simons, I think you're not on mute, right? No, that uh, that is true. We are not going to bring any fake news. But I guess let's. Uh, I, I suggest, why don't we introduce our people? So we start with uh, Limi Kalapurakal. Yeah. Limi, uh, you are in Vienna. Tell a little bit more about who are you. Yeah, well, thank you for the introduction. My name is Limi. I, I am a student at the University of Eindhoven. I'm a fourth year bachelor student, but I'm originally from India, but I was born and raised in Austria, so that's why I'm back here. Due to the current circumstance and everything being online, so I flew back to um, home for Christmas, and I'm still here. That is interesting. Then we talk with uh, Stephen Harianto. Stephen, where are you? Where are you from? What are you doing in, in Brainport? That's correct. Uh, well, I am now in Eindhoven, and I have been living in Eindhoven as well for the last um, 11 years, more, uh, more or less. Uh, so I've been here for quite a while. I am originally from Indonesia. Um, uh, I am uh, currently working at ASML, as uh, a lot of other internationals also do in the Brainport region. Mm -hmm. And then we have, of course, uh, the team behind it. We, uh, we hear ourselves quite a lot. It's uh, Jean-Paul Linnars in Eindhoven, who is a little bit the founder of the station. And then my name is Peter Simons, and you can hear me also on this station every day. And I'm based in Barcelona. I suggest let's take the first topic. Now, everybody talks about it, but well, we can't stay behind. But let's give it a different view. When I say COVID-19, what's the first thought that comes to your mind, Limi? Lockdown. <laughs> Lockdown. Lockdown. Lockdown and quarantine, yeah. Tell me more. Because I think that's the first topic because that's what most of the year has been. And, you know, even now, when we've entered 2021, I'm in Austrian, we're on a hard lockdown right now. And I know Netherlands is also on a hard lockdown. So I think that's still the very vivid memory, the very, very, very like, first image that I get into, the, into my head when I think of lockdown. Mm How -hmm. I think, I mean, that's probably like a very negative light to put in the start. It, it was still like, you know, a good year in the sense that um, there was a pause to the busy life. There was a sort of stop to, you know, like going around places, traveling, which in a way is sad, but also in another way, it's also nice to be with family, to be with your close and dear ones, to know what you actually value in life and being grateful for what you have. So, yeah. That's a message I've heard a lot that people say, well, in the end, we have learned to appreciate what we have. Stephen, same opinion? Same opinion as well. I think uh, that's that's what we've been facing um, very, very much uh, across uh, 2020 coronavirus. Um, it has been a year uh, when I was um, actually when I where I was supposed to get married in Indonesia, but obviously that didn't go uh, according to our plan. And we have to uh, adapt and adjust our plans and uh, get married over here. But that's that's what 2020 is all about. You know, it's. Uh, it's how it's about how you would define the year, uh, whether it's a year of um, sadness, disappointment, or a year of adjustments, plans, flexibilities. 
Uh, I would rather think of 2020 as a year of positivity and reflection. Jean-Paul, what do you think? What's your, your first mind? It was a strange year where everything was different. Uh, a lot of things also went exactly in the same it could. What was amazing to me is that I've been following some uh, uh, research person who was predicting tension in the world. And already 10, 20 years ago, using chaos theory, he was saying 2020 would be a year when all the tension in the world would be so large that we would run into something. And with what we have seen in international um, developments, together with this virus, I think uh, together with a climate crisis, the world is really has, has become very complicated. And the corona uh, virus has come right at the moment that we are also facing quite a number of other problems. So it's, it's not the only thing, but it is, of course, the main thing that impacted us a lot in this year. Well, one of the things is, of course, when we listen to the, the media, all the other stations, newspapers, whatever, online, you see the negative side of COVID. But let's have a look at the positive side. Isn't it true that in hard times, the real leaders are born? Because in soft times, you normally also get bad leaders. And unfortunately, perhaps we see that lots of the leaders that now have to lead us are trained have gone through the experience of becoming a leader in, in easy times and now they're struggling yeah we expect more people now perhaps to become uh, better leaders to suddenly stand up and then really serious leaders no populists the, yeah the, but the, the main problem that i see there is that particularly the world is calling for strong leaders and that's not always the same as good leaders so it is indeed a time calling for, for good leaders. I think, Stephen, we had a very interesting debate in the previous podcast where we were comparing how the Dutch react to uh, an advice or even the regulation where you should not play with fireworks and they just say, well, um, possibly. Um, whether a strong advice on we wearing a mouth cuff is something which is not always followed. And, and you were promoting very much a, a much more directive leadership. And I think many internationals also come from countries where that's more common. Correct. I'm a, I'm a more of a pro-authoritarian, uh, although I think for lack of a better word, I would say authoritarian, but I'm not sure if that's the correct term here, but of a more direct and more forceful um, regulation in terms of uh, uh, um, the, the handling of the pandemic. Do you think the Dutch have as a culture what we call consensus? We really like to talk a lot, get consensus, and then go for it. Is that still applicable now uh, under those circumstances, or should we just put the country in another mode, just thrip? I uh, think throw, so. Thrip. Yeah, I think I think that's what I've been hearing as well from other Dutch people is that you guys, the politics um, is usually what what you guys call the polder politik. Uh, a lot of talking, a lot of discussions first, and uh, that goes on and on and on, and the actions come afterwards. And when, uh, I mean, that's good. I mean, the people here are very, very educated and that's also part of the culture to debate. But at some point, this is a crisis that needs speed and accuracy and you need to be uh, very decisive, very, very fast. Shall we hope that even uh, politicians and leaders that when it's all over, they will honestly start evaluating how they worked and learned from it? Do you think that's going to happen? Uh, I am hopeful, although I am doubtful. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, this is this is this will remain a, a very huge part of uh, of the Dutch culture, or maybe even European culture, maybe even Western culture, of consensus of having um, more rights than others. I would say uh, rights of breathing, rights of movement, rights of partying, whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, we people in the Western world have been so spoiled with good life. Uh, mm -hmm. that in such a crisis like this, where when we've been asked to do so little, it's so hard for us to do so little. And Limi, if you go to Austria, you're in Vienna, you, uh, you grew up in Vienna. Now the question then is too, how is Austrian politics handling this? Are they also into consensus mode or they just say, nein, so? Uh, what's your view on that? Well, I think it's more the latter, to be honest. So even as Stephen was speaking, I was like, okay, um, although I agree in the sense that, you know, generally speaking, and not just Corona times, but generally speaking, uh, the Western world does give more freedom, you know, to the, to the people too for consensus, consensus. But I think with the pandemic, Austria um, was more strict in that sense. So it was more of nine. <laughs> um, we had like strict laws of um, during the first lockdown of who could go out when and whom we could meet. And actually, we couldn't meet anyone at all. So it was a full lockdown where you couldn't meet anyone at all. And if, if you were to be seen with even a colleague who you work with on the metro, then you would get a fine. And so it was quite strict on that sense. And I think I think in a way that was good because um, it helped Austria control the number of people with, um, aff affected by corona much better in a way, in a shorter time. But now, uh, but the, the downside of that was that many people faced psychological mental problems due to like being alone and feeling lonely. So this time when we have this lockdown right now, the rule is that you can meet one person um, at a time. So just to go on a walk, just to have a chat with, so that people can still have a social interaction. Maybe what I, what I remember from uh, the first lockdown, semi-lockdown here, when the university closed down, we had an interview with the rector. I would like to play a quote from the rector, focusing on the impact on research. But after that, we got a very fierce reaction from one of the students. Because she was really exactly facing that problem of how to be on her own in a foreign country in a different city. But let's first uh, have a listen to how, at, uh, when the university had no experience with the lockdown, how that was approached. Uh, Director Frank Bayers. So it will uh, particularly affect uh, those students that um, rely on experimental work. Um, those are, that are involved in more theoretical exercises, uh, I think it's uh, manageable, not easy, but in principle that's something that you can do off campus as well. But in particular in those situations where you depend on uh, experimental work, um, having had to shut down the university, a closed university, closing essentially all the buildings, um, has a major impact on, uh, on these uh, students. Uh, we will do everything that we can. Um, to avoid a unnecessary delays uh, in the study program. Uh, sometimes it means that we have to accept that, uh, that, that say, uh, certain components of the program uh, cannot be executed and, and may need to be replaced by something else, which is more theoretical. Um, but nevertheless, I think in everything that we're doing today, uh, the ambition is uh, to avoid a delay of, uh, of, uh, of, of students. Yeah, that was March. But how did you experience that after being at the university? Not only not going to classes, but watching courses online and also interacting with other students. 
Yeah, I think it was certainly tough, and the switch was not was not easy. So in the beginning, it was really odd to be behind a screen and watching our lecturers give lectures. And of course, in the beginning, there were so many technical problems with sharing the screen, with audios, with people you know, turning on their microphones, things like that. So there was a lot of things to uh, figure out. But I think, you know, quite fast, the university, the professors adapted quite fast, the students as well. But it was certainly difficult, and I feel like it was very difficult for the first year students as well. So the students who started the, their university life this year, so in 2020, September, I think for them especially it was quite a tough start because they couldn't make any friends, they couldn't join any associations, especially for international students who moved to a different country entirely to start their education, to start this new phase, and suddenly they couldn't interact with anyone except for online. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Does it actually mean that if you think about this, uh, there are certain universities or institutes, they only teach online. What they miss, in my view, I studied at two universities, and it's not only the knowledge you take away, you make lots of international friends, which will be with you for the rest of your life, your contact network. Is this now a kind of experiencing how it would be if you go on to university online, whatever? I mean, there are so many where you follow your courses and you do get a diploma. Isn't it now just showing us that perhaps we do need to have presential uh, education where people sit together and have together coffee and etc. You have experience now, Limi. Yeah, and I certainly see what you mean, but I feel like, you know, if, if someone chooses to be homeschooled or mm -hmm. decides to just do online schooling or a higher education, then there must be some sort of reason for which they justify the choice. So maybe they stay in their home country. So in my case, maybe I would just stay in Austria and then I have my own friends here to hang out with. So then I may be just happy being with my friends here rather than making new friends, for instance. Yeah. So in that situation, I think it's fine. Whereas now, they, the student, international students probably moved to the Netherlands already or, you know, hoping that university would start, but it's, it's not really predictable. And yeah, if, if at all they're in, the same, they're in their own country, it's still difficult to meet their own friends, even if they're in their home country. So yeah, in either way, I think it's, it's, it's not the same, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, and it's also not out of personal choice. So that also makes a difference, I think. Jean-Paul, you, uh, you mentioned we just listened to uh, Frank, uh, to uh, Bayern. Frank Bayern, yeah, director. Mm -hmm. I almost said Bouillon. Um, you also had a quote about uh, angry student. Uh, yeah, well, we don't have the quotes here, but uh, ah. I remember that uh, both uh, Limi and you had an interview uh, with her because particularly that, that being on your own, left alone, where you have a lot of things to to. to to work with. You, of course, have uh, your friends, your family, maybe your parents at home in another country, possibly also getting in infected. And, and you, you cannot leave. And, and I think that was very much one of the key concerns. That was also confirmed when, um, uh, when we spoke to the student diversity officer of the university. It is one of the key topics and uh, one of the key things of also being a student eh, to, to, to be active and to... Uh, yeah to engage with others. Let's perhaps pull out one of the old German sayings and that in the Beschränkung zeigt sich der Meister. Um, that's perhaps the, the best way of looking at it. Yeah. We'll continue to debate this topic and all the events around Corona.
Working from home, that's of course an interesting topic. Now, to be honest, I work from home since 1999. Uh, as such, I hardly have noticed, of course, any uh, differences. Now, if I normally work from home, there are many visits I make outside or on assignments where I stay a week or a month outside. That didn't happen this time. And so far as I live outside the city of Barcelona, I only made some trips to the city, 25 minutes by train, with a special piece of paper that I'm allowed to go there. Otherwise, also me, I get fined like the Austrians do. Now, working from home, uh, you see that on social networks with the hashtag WFH, and I always read WFH. Uh, TF, that means something completely different. I don't know. I must have a, a dirty mind. I don't know. But let's talk about working uh, from home and being at home, especially in the weekend, because that was what the song was about. So it's weekend or it's not weekend. Do you notice the difference? In my family, people re regularly asked, what is it today? And that I had to say, it's Saturday. You don't have to go to school, which means you have no videos. Who else experiences this? Like, I don't know anymore whether it's weekend, whether it's Christmas, perhaps it's Eastern already, or are we celebrating Carnival? I'm completely lost. Stephen. Yeah, so uh, we at ASML have been working uh, at home since March, since the first lockdown. In the beginning, uh, like the students, we had quite some bit of a technical uh, issues here and there especially since the switch to Microsoft Teams was, was in, wasn't there from the beginning. We, has, we still had to use Skype uh, for office, for business in the beginning. And everybody was just figuring out how the hell are we supposed to work like this? And we thought this, is, this, is only, this was only going to be for only for two weeks. Everybody thought so in March, right? Mm -hmm. And then it went on and on. And, uh, you know, every, after some time, after one or two months, uh, we kind of like got used to it. And there were some positive comments coming in uh, from, er from everybody saying that, hey, I actually like working from home. Uh, I get to see my family more often. Um, my work-life balance is actually okay. Um, and then after three, four months, surprisingly, and then up until now, people started missing their own colleagues. It's a very funny f uh, phenomena. Uh, and uh, the positive effects that we saw at the beginning uh, of, the, of the work from home phenomena started disappearing and the negativity actually started uh, appearing. And everybody started to become, uh, you know, more naughty in terms of not obeying what the government was trying to say to stay at home. But every, but you know, occasionally colleagues started to come to uh, to come back to the office, and uh, that's what we've been seeing um, uh, up until now, basically. And only until only from the last lockdown that the government really um, uh, emphasized one more time that hey, please stop coming to the office, take this seriously. Uh, do we only take? Uh, do we only finally stay at home? Let me let me ask you all a question. I, I I'm going to give you an experience. It's old. It's from 2000, I guess, or 1999. I worked from home. Uh, my main client was a UK-based engineering company, and the deal was I will work from home, and every month, every five weeks, I will be in the office in London for about three four days. Now, in one of those meetings, when we were sitting all in London. I suddenly make a remark, and it was a little bit like, why don't we ask Margaret? She runs the United States for this company. And it became very quiet. And they looked at me like, what? Yeah, what's wrong with that? Peter, 
We threw her out. She was fired three weeks ago. I said, ah, interesting. And how am I supposed to know that? Did you announce it uh, officially? No, everybody knows. Everybody here in the office knows, but I don't. You haven't told me. So this is what I call the coffee machine information, the coffee machine chit-chat and communications channel. The Spanish call it Radio Macuta. Macuto. Have you felt like with ASML that you are missing out on certain informal information that you still need to get a feeling or to take decisions? Of course. Uh, a lot of the um, implicit messages or information we often gather from those uh, coffee corner talks, you know, occasionally yeah. after an hour or two, we gathered in some coffee corner, we either talked about uh, our work or maybe our, about our weekend or even about, you know, gossiping other colleagues <laughs> very negatively. Yep. Uh, we, 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 uh, we miss that. Uh, we don't have that anymore from working from home. Although, yes, there has been initiatives um, to start virtual copy talks. Uh, mm -hmm. we find, we've been finding it not so as effective as the usual copy talks that we normally have. Let me give the tip we do. We did. I mean, it is effective. However, you should not do in a group. So we made a deal that every Friday at four o'clock European time, three o'clock London time, I would call my colleague Mike, who mainly worked out of the office, and we just would about thirty minutes. He would say, "Oh, you know, the president came in here, and he didn't look very happy. He was very nervous, and I think there was something going on with investors who want to buy the company." So th that was very interesting. And as it was one to one, he was willing to talk about it. But if you sit with everybody together, uh, you're not going to mention like, "Oh, have you?" I mean, if you want to do gossip, have you seen that horrible tie of John? I mean, how can you wear that? Uh, that's exactly not something you can easily do when you're in a formal <laughs> meeting or in a, a, an internet meeting with 30 people uh, around. Yeah. I also so know from, from <laughs> Philips, from Signify, from NXP that most of the inventions are being made near the coffee machine. And that's the idea where you just chat about something in an uh, unpredictable way. And that's when, when a lot of the inventions come, uh, come up. And also, the, indeed, the Friday afternoon is famous for making many inventions because that is exactly the moment that, particularly in the older history of the research labs, you could do things which were a bit off the project uh, directions. I think those kind of informal things, may, you may not immediately miss them uh, during the first three months or so. Um, but for the longer duration, if you want to think of new directions, new ideas, uh, or if you're doing a PhD research, have some new ideas about a new paper. Those are exactly the kind of things where you need also to, to have a silence. And during that silence, you sit together, you look at each other and you think. And, and that kind of happening, that, that kind of event is very hard to have in online meetings where you basically have the clock ticking and say, okay, so we close and uh, see each other next time. Correct. I think work from home will always uh, be uh, will always have a place in corporate life starting from this pandemic, but it will never replace our um, normal working um, at the office um, even after Corona ends. I think uh, it will still, you know, be part of our daily routine one or two days maximum in a week. But uh, people will still see a lot of benefits from working together physically at the office. Now, you have been talking, uh, Stephen, about the um, 
way of working and the effectiveness of the company. What Limi also mentioned is the uh, personal interaction, the, the feeling together. And in a previous podcast, you invited Barak Gupta, also with ASML. He is from the United States. He is single, so he's basically organizing his life in holiday time. And I was uh, basically amazed by how he organizes this and how he has a very positive attitude towards this. I'm very optimistic in the way that I look at life. And I think that, you know, maybe, okay, what does it matter? You can't do it right now. But maybe they'll open the market on the 20th or 25th of January. And they'll they'll have some events or they'll have some some things that we can do and still keep the social distance and maintain the integrity of the uh, our approach. Quite important as well, the social aspects. Uh, certain things happening at ASML, but also quite a number of things happening at the university. Limi, you invited, for that reason, the diversity, the student diversity officer of the university. Yeah, that's right. Um, so she's a student diversity officer, and if you listen to our previous podcast, you may have heard her approach to how international students and any student can integrate into the Dutch culture, but also especially in these times, how they can, we as a university can also make them feel more comfortable, more at home. And there were indeed quite a number of uh, events being, uh, being organized. But you're in Austria. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I am. But there were there were a couple of uh, events organized for sure. But, but I think most of them were also organized before um, before the entire hard lockdown came into place. So I'm not sure how much of that was still possible. But I do know that, for example, there was this, you could pick up a package from the sports center, which you could make Christmas cookies with people together, with the regulations taking, uh, taking into consideration. And there was sort of small um, corona bubbles with which you could meet certain group of people and you uh, switch around and things. But there's also um, a university call line for which people can just call and talk to someone if they want to, or you can go on a walk with someone. So there's a lot of opportunities for people to reach out to other people and yeah, be there for each other. That is interesting. I mean, in the end, we see that we always will find a way to get it going. Yeah. And I think, uh, as we said in the beginning of this uh, chat, we, uh, we, we humans, we sometimes have to learn like, hey, wait, we are getting now uh, confinements, we get lockdowns, we cannot do whatever we did, but let's find and let's make the best out of it, even what Parakupta said. I, I think both in uh, ASML with Stephen and Limi as a student, I think you both have shown, and I hope or more people will tell us the same if they would be sitting here, that there is always a way of getting it going. And that's what I would define as leadership. Mm -hmm. I hope you agree. Yes, certainly. And also, like, I mean, look at us. We're, like, on a Skype call right now as we speak. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, like, I don't think we did this before, before the entire lockdown came into place. So I would meet John Paul in person, for example, to do some recording. So I think it's great, you know, how different fields also adapt and how we sometimes think we're not like easy to easy to like we're not flexible enough but once yeah. the pandemic hit we are like oh now we need to that now we need to change we still need to get life going we still need to do research we still need to study we still need to do everything we need to do work so yeah so i think it's 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 really clear to see how as we humans although we may struggle a little bit in the beginning we still keep going we yeah we're flexible enough to go through things so that's great <laughs> Limi, you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Limi, you're also a journalist for Curso. 
And you've written an article recently where you are comparing the technical studies, where you just solve differential equations and where you got something uh, out of it. But you saw that also the non-technical studies are very interesting. And maybe it is just because of that corona time that you got very interested because of this uh, topic. Maybe we'll chat about this later on. And in the meantime, a very popular song from 2020. Jerusalem, Ikayalami, Ilonolose, Uhambenami, Zumangishilana, Jerusalem, Ikayalami, Ilonolose,
And that's Master A. Rosalina. Music to get a little bit more friendly. Let's go back to a long time ago. I'm probably the one that uses the longest email. And uh, way back in 1988, when I worked for AT&T Network Systems, we had email, namely Unix Mail. And I have seen many things happening. Now, about 20, 25 years ago, we had this phenomena. You would receive an email forwarded to many people, like, please send this to all your friends. There is something going on with the file. If you click on it, your hard disk will be erased. It is even on CNN. Please forward to as many friends of you as possible. And what did people do? They would forward it to as many people as possible. What I normally would do, well, if it's on CNN, then it must be at least on their webpage, isn't it? So I would check and would reply, no, it's not on CNN. This is all, as we call it, a hoax. Today, we haven't learned anything. Now, we don't forward emails anymore. We forward WhatsApp messages and we forward Facebook messages. And that now we call it fake news. Do we check the content of that message, whether it's true or not? Pretty much the answer is no, we do not check that. And even if you try to uh, forward or retweet now a message on Twitter, it actually says that you read it. So that's good. What is your experience so far with fake news? Let's see, Limi, you are the youngest, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, for me, well, yeah, the email, I wasn't really a part of that, I think, that as much. But yeah, with WhatsApp messages, certainly. Um, also, I see, you know, like I think nowadays, especially we're like more aware of it a little bit more, we're a bit more critical when we get the messages, but still there are quite a lot of messages where we just like, we just, like close an eye and we just like, forward it. But I see that also more with like, you know, my parents, for example, where they are certainly less critical of the messages they receive and they just forward. And I'm like, no, this is completely, this is not, this is not true at all. I remember one um, instance, like very peculiar, very like, clearly, where my dad sent me a picture of um, a, a message about the three new ministers in um, who, um, some European country, I forgot which one exactly, but they looked like, you know, like very Asian, but I was like, okay, you know, like they could be Asian as well. And then I just like looked it up and it was, it was like completely wrong. And it was this, this whole news going on, WhatsApp, people forwarding to one another. And then I sent my dad like the link of like an actual website, a news channel, which, you know, mentioned who the new ministers were and then he was like oh oops <laughs> but luckily he didn't send it to anyone else but me so yeah he was he was hoping i would be inspired by it because of like young women or something <laughs> but, <laughs> but it turned out to be quite different but anyway i think like you know it's it's more clearly seen in um in my parents and me but it's still there certainly this i'm not gonna lie but i admit that you know also message that i receive i'm like okay oh this could be true and i just send it to other people but then later I might realize that maybe even like a small part of it, not maybe not the entire thing, but a small part of it is not exactly true. So, yeah. The, th the thing is, of course, if you go back in history uh, to the Second World War, we had the Nazis with Goebbels, and that was a marketer of first class, to be honest. And his message was, uh, or his uh, concept was, if you keep on repeating it, it becomes the truth. And that's, of course, what populists uh, do. And populists uh, also defend uh, social networks because they accuse the media of providing fake news or filtering news. Well, what's your take on that, uh, Stephen? 
Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing trends of misinformation or fake news as early as history goes, just like what you said, you know, start even starting from emails, right? But it's, I think it's been getting more, it's been getting more and more attention, or at least it's more pronounced and apparent maybe since the last four or five years ago. We've seen how misinformation um, has deeply divided us all in topics like the politics, the coronavirus, vaccines, 5G, and, and many more topics. And you know, people have gone from disagreeing to hating one another. Uh, it has come to our attention that issues, facts, and policies don't matter as much as their own identity and wanting to beat the other guy, right? So, I mean, democracy and society will not work if we don't have informed citizens and responsible uh, officials. And the current media environment certainly adds to that greatly. Uh, the, the landscape has changed and it has changed the public's perception. Uh, people have become uh, much partisan in a way. And this has also led to the rise of far-right parties in Poland and in, in, in Brazil and in the US. And people can't seem to put their own country first. They, they, they put aside their own ego and think about their own interests. So the thing is, it's, it's hard to debate when we are not using the same facts, same set of facts and the same set of reality. So, for example, we can debate about ways to combat uh, climate change, whether to do certain action A or B, uh, or we can even do very little or nothing. But we all first have to admit, right, that climate change exists. Uh, but the discussion becomes useless when people live in a different universe and are using different set of facts. Uh, there's even an old adage that goes, everyone is entitled to their own opinions, but not to their own facts. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going, to, going to be very interesting to see how the government work together with the media and the tech companies to find ways um, to inform the public better about the issues and set up the standards that ensure we can separate truth from fiction because it's so, it's getting harder and harder. If you look into deep fakes and all those other technologies that will come um, in the future, man, it's scary. Let me ask you guys, how do you handle, for instance, uh, a strong populist who really thinks he is right? How do you object with them? Because my experience is they don't listen to facts anymore. They are so absorbed by the emotions that that message is true, that they will just walk away from you or just say, well, uh, people told me you even, whatever you taught at university is pure nonsense. It's all set up by whatever, Illuminati, whatever they call it. How do you handle that? I, I don't know anymore. I mean, I just give up. I, I don't, I just say, okay, have a good day. You will find out that you're wrong. And then I just break it off. What, what's your, uh, perhaps you can teach me something. And then it's a bit silent because I would not know how to handle that. But I, I, I fully agree indeed that when, when I was taking classes at the university in, let's say, the 80s, 90s, we saw a lot of this technology coming. And, and I would have believed if I remember correctly, at that moment, that uh, we would go to an information overload. Jens Anwag was professor at that moment in Eindhoven, moved later to Delft, and yeah. I think he uh, coined the term information overload. But in all that overload of information, you would be able to filter facts. And that the problem that facts are no longer facts, I think, is definitely a kind of uh, scary thing, which I would not have expected. 
I think certainly uh, we as scientists, I say we here, should not give up. Although sometimes when I read the sentence uh, that is being spoken out when someone gets a PhD, that you are now responsible for um, um, communicating in um, the right way and, and think about what you are making statements here and only talk about the topic you know something of. Well, I'm pretty sure that many people know a lot also slightly out of their topic and still have a great thing to say. An example, for instance, Bert Blocke, uh, the professor of the wind tunnels, doing a lot of studies on cyclists. Um, mm -hmm. I had a chat with him when the coronavirus uh, broke out and we had that question about the aerosols. And at Ready for Brainport, we had one of the first interviews stating that aerosols could be a challenge. And I was debating this with him. Of course, at that moment, he was not an expert on aerosols. Now he's international recognized. He was on CNN. You can check it. <laughs> His videos were there. But he was, uh, he was indeed treating all these measurements and statements very carefully, stating this is something I read, that is something I read, but I think with common sense we can uh, draw these and these conclusions. That is something that uh, scientists can do. But in the meantime, I think a lot of people are trapped in a kind of funnel of their own information. And that was a hot topic on, on Dutch television as well, the funnel in which you are trapped. Because if you click on YouTube, if you click on Facebook on a certain very extreme thought, the algorithms will think you yeah. like extreme thoughts. And then you are trapped more and more into thinking this way. And apparently, parallel universes can exist where different people have completely different opinions and cannot get out, cannot escape or are not willing to escape because it's comfortable to stay inside your comfort zone. Yeah, that is an interesting topic. I mean, we talk about algorithms and yes, they uh, they help us to, uh, to, to make our belief even uh, stronger. I don't know what to do about it. Well, I, I can tell you one answer when one woman once was telling me that, you know, this was all uh, science was nonsense, especially science is a big, uh, a big lie. She pulled out her expensive iPhone and I said, you like your iPhone? Yes. You know how that thing is made? made? No, that's based on science. So, uh, and then that was, she became a little bit more quiet and started to talk about the weather. That's the only way that I found out you can, uh, you can close their mouth. Sorry, I don't know anything else. But anyway, what, what, what I'm amazed is that I would expect that the younger generation who grow up with these social media would be uh, very experienced and would know how to filter information. But it's rather the opposite. It's rather the opposite, Jean-Paul. And I believe, uh, I think the education in the sense is very late in the game. Uh, I think the older generation should have seen this coming and should have embedded the uh, education of of separating the the facts from the fictions in the education of the kids nowadays. Um, these are the technologies that are more powerful than what we are capable of handling, and I think um, uh, education will certainly play a huge role in doing this and protecting the future generations. Mm -hmm. Let's see, we have one topic left we wanted to talk about, and we also have still some music. What about Danny Vera and Roller Coaster?
let's go on to perhaps a, a very hot topic which became very, very clear in 2020. Hashtag BLM, Black Lives Matter. And we even made podcasts about it. I remember with, uh, with Limi, we, we have worked on that. And what is going on? I mean, is this something new or is the lit from the... How do you say that in English? It's the lit that's taken from... I forgot. But anyway, we suddenly start talking about it. Limi, you have some good experience in that as a journalist. Um, well, yeah, in, in a way, but I wasn't directly talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, but more about, um, you know, at university, because I write for the university magazine. So I was trying to talk about, you know, we all talk about George Floyd and what happened in the United States, yeah. but how, from a university perspective, how as a student, how as a staff member of the university, we could potentially, you know, be be in a way racist, but not inclusive enough, if that's, a, that's the right word, not inclusive enough. So how um, we treat, treat different people from different cultures within our university, how, you know, like there are certain social circles we are in where we may not, not on purpose, not consciously be excluding certain other people from different, certain different other groups, how, you know, maybe it's that student who's sitting alone in the lecture room who you need to talk to and, you know, be friends with and invite for dinner rather than the other bunch of cool kids who you always hang out with. So that kind of inclusivity and, you know, how associations deal with students, especially international students, where Dutch is a very strong language and still quite, you know, sometimes really difficult in certain social groups to ask them to switch to English. Mm -hmm. And so I talked more about these different topics and, yeah, so more on the scale of a university. And it was quite interesting also with the student diversity officer, how her take was on this. And we also had another international student join us as well. But of course, also Stephen, uh, who was talking about his experience in the Netherlands as an international. So... Yeah. Yeah, that, that's my mistake. I actually wrote down, I should ask Stephen first. Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> Microphone <laughs> for you. No my problem. Point. I think I think Limi gave a great introduction. I think BLM is so much more than just black lives, right? Um, it's uh, It has spread to other uh, minorities, other countries. Uh, in fact, actually the whole word. Um, I, I, was, I was actually rather interested how uh, the hashtag BLM Black Lives Matter only came into the picture um, starting from George Floyd's incident, because in fact, BLM um, has been around since I believe 2013. Uh, because this movement is, um, you know, it, it, it deeply uncovers various topics from the flaws in our criminal justice um, system, the police force, uh, and most importantly, systemic racial bias. Um, I, 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 I've dug at some, some numbers just to give you some ideas. So out of around 2,000 police killings of black people in the U.S. from 2013 to 2019, only 3% of the cases were brought to the court and fewer than 1% reached a conviction. Mm -hmm. So all of these things come together and show that the police seem to enjoy impunity and as if black lives don't really matter here. So all of these events have been leading up to the event of George Floyd in May 2020, and that's why, and then Black Lives Matter uh, movement exploded. Uh, but what's so special about George Floyd is that never before we've ever seen a stretch of time in the video where you could see uh, the humanity of the victim uh, so apparent. I mean, we could see the pain and the vulnerability of, of, of George Floyd, and it's as if you know, we all finally came face to face with the reality that African-Americans and also other minorities in the world have understood for quite some time. And, uh, I'm, 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 you know, all of a sudden people 
came to realize that, hey, those things have not been explicitly happening only in the U.S., but also everywhere in the world. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy, you know, that this has gone viral across, across the world and people have started noticing and be more inclusive. I think inclusive is also a big word from 2019, even uh, of being more inclusive to other uh, genders, other sexual uh, orientations, other races. But it's but 2020 was really the year that we started to take that in, um, nice word into actions. I think the the good news perhaps is nowadays it's also dangerous. We all carry a piece of equipment in our pocket, which is a smartphone, and they all have cameras. It's even now, you can't go out anymore, and somebody will catch you on a, on a camera. Now, whether that's good or bad, we are not going to discuss this, but the good news is, perhaps, whenever this, like, uh, this incident happened, we immediately could see it, because people pulled out their phones. And that, of course, in the past was impossible. You would always hear that there was an incident, there was an accident. You never see trains hitting each other. Uh, it's always the after one. Then it's when the press shows up. But with people with phones, I feel that we, yes, and their social networks do have an advantage. We can play a little bit journalist too. And if we give the images then to the official media, they can find out further, because some of them are really good at that, what really happened and use your images. Isn't that perhaps a somewhat hopeful development? Yeah, but I also see there a risk, eh? because if you just take an isolated snapshot of video and take that out of context, that can really trigger thoughts which are not really uh, describing the right context. Eh? So I also see the negative parts of it, and I think we also seen examples in, 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 in the past. Mm -hmm. So yes and no, uh, particularly also with the, the deep fake uh, developments there, that also becomes a quite interesting story uh, to see where that goes. Anyway, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, lady, and gentlemen, gentlemen, it's about time to stop the show. I think I would say thank you very much for all the extremely valuable and hey, positive inputs. We uh, we are going to uh, use this as a podcast. And those listening to us, thank you for listening uh, directly. This was one of the live programs directed out of several studios around the world. I think, Jean-Paul, we have one last message. It's a song. Yeah, and uh, we've chosen that as a, a very heavily played song on Radio for Brainpot. It's from a rock opera from the 70s, and it is about the year 21. It's going to be a good year. Yeah, I think 21 is got to be a good year. Thanks all. Got a feeling 21 is going to be a good year. Especially if you and me sitting together So you think 21 is gonna be a good year Could be good for me and her, but you and her, no, never I had no reason to be over-optimistic But somehow when you smile I can brave bad weather What about the boy? What about the boy?